I'm joined today by Paul Boyne and Doug McGraw of Manulife Asset Management, who are the managers of our Global Equity Income Fund from the end of April. Doug, Paul, welcome gentlemen. Doug, I wanted to start with you first, if I may. Clearly, meeting management is very important to the way in which you manage our clients' assets, yet you can't be travelling all of the time. How do you go about building in external re research input into your investment process? Sure. Meeting company management teams is a very important part of the process. And in addition to external resources, we try to take advantage of what we have at Manulife Asset Management, where there are over 300 investment professionals around the world. Like most investment managers, we use the sell-side and research uh, boutiques to identify and understand companies that might become holdings in the portfolio. Um, if, a, if a new company shows up in our screening process, it's helpful to go to the sell-side and get a perspective for the history of the company, the history of management, the competitive dynamic for that company, as well as a financial model, which will give us the first indication of what the revenue model looks like and what the cash flow dynamics are for that new company. Uh, as an example, we recently did some work on a Scandinavian uh, food and home and personal care products company. And we felt that two Scandinavian brokers really gave us a very good on-the-ground description of what was happening first in the grocery store industry. There's consolidation going on. So they could explain to us what was happening to the grocery stores but also for the investment that we were considering, the impact that would have on local food and home and personal care companies. Paul, many of the holdings in the portfolio are from Western developed markets. I wondered if you could help explain the balance um, between developed and emerging markets and, and how you saw the opportunity sets in both areas. So we construct this portfolio from entirely from a bottom-up perspective. So our starting point is principally valuation and we combine that with quality. Um, we never begin with an asset allocation decision to put a certain amount of capital in either industries or geographies, an EM versus DM split in terms of your question. Um, when we look at a company, it comes out of looking at a cross-industry comparison. So if we take pharmaceuticals, for example, we will compare Pfizer in the US to Novartis in Russia and Europe to Glaxo in the UK to Cade in Japan. Um, at the moment, we have no emerging markets investments. Um, we have had in the past, uh, but that's not to say that we do not have emerging market exposure. So our two largest tobacco stocks, BAT in the UK, Philip Morris in, in the US, for example, um, make a significant portion of their profits within emerging markets. Um, staying with consumer staples, Mondelez, another investment in the portfolio, they refer to 45% of their revenue coming from emerging markets, which is probably a little high because they include Japan in that, so the number is probably closer to 30, but still a significant portion of their business is from emerging markets, but it shows up as a, a developed world investment. So you've got to be very careful when you look at the geographic distribution, either collectively across the portfolio or individually on a stock, and try to determine is that simply that type of asset allocation decision, because that's not where we begin. A number of the holdings in the portfolio are large, well-known companies like uh, Philip Morris or BAT Industries or Johnson & Johnson. Could you tell me, do you favour the, the, the mega caps uh, in, in respect to the portfolio management? So not specifically. We, we are an all-cap product, but our average market cap at the moment is definitely larger than the MSCI World, our index. Um, we're a little over 100 billion or just so in average market cap. 
Um, but if you look at evaluation across the different market cap spectrums, that's where the value is. Um, in terms of brands, what we're looking for are companies that have high return on capital, high underlying cash flow streams, and ultimately, therefore, high dividends. And very often, that stems from a sustainable and defensible brand. Um, so the branded companies are very appealing to us. Given the income requirement of this fund, there's an obvious bias towards sectors such as pharmaceuticals, which many uh, seem to feel are quite overvalued at this stage. I wondered if you could help explain why you're still finding attractive um, investment opportunities uh, at this level of the market. Sure. Uh, first, I would say overbought, though, to me, just means that a stock or a sector has done well versus a peer group or an index over a very arbitrary period of time. Uh, overbought doesn't address value or valuation. If we go back to 2011 or into 2012, many pharmaceutical stocks had zero or in fact negative value attached to their drug pipeline, which we think was unreasonable. And since that time, the market has now assigned some value to those pipelines, which, which makes more sense. Um, so just because this group or many stocks within the pharmaceutical group have done well since the end of 2012 to current times, doesn't mean they're overvalued because, again, we were starting from a period where they were incredibly undervalued. Pharmaceutical stocks and the industry in general continues to look attractive to us. A lot of the stocks we have in our portfolio have very strong balance sheets. Uh, Johnson & Johnson, for instance, is one of the three remaining AAA companies left. Uh, the companies we have score well on valuation. And when we look at valuation, equity-free cash flow yield will be the primary metric we use for pharmaceuticals. But we'll also try to look at valuation from a different angle. If we look at Novartis, for instance, we will use a sum of the parts analysis, where we apply different PE ratios to its branded pharmaceutical division, its generic division, the Alcon division, consumer, and vaccines. And again, the end result here is that pharmaceutical stocks, as they have for the last several years, uh, screen well, and after we've performed fundamental analysis, appear to be very attractive investments uh, for the portfolio. As well as the income stocks, Paul, uh, the portfolio contains a number of growth opportunities, like Viacom, for example. How do they fit into the portfolio, and where do you see the opportunity in, in that area? Sure. So our objective is, is threefold in a way when we construct a portfolio. It's, it's to create capital gains for underlying investors, create a dividend stream, um, an income stream, um, and have that grow over time. Now, our heritage essentially is in value, and very often people look at value or look at dividend products as being simply boring toco utility type investments. Um, that does not need to be the case. Um, we get very excited when we find businesses that are growing, but we can buy them at very cheap prices. Um, Viacom, and in fact, media generally is a good example of that. When we looked at media first, which was a couple of years ago, um, it was an industry that a dividend investor would have had zero interest in. So media is a good example of an industry that would not have been an obvious place for income investors to look for ideas. Um, they have a per reputation in regards to um, capital deployment. Um, you can have a litany of M&A deals that were done at the peak of cycle and wasted an awful lot of capital. 
Viacom were at the forefront of an industry change whereby they turned around, the CEO turned around and said, we um, recognize the error of those past deals and we are going to return all excess cash to shareholders. Um, and in fact, they were going to take an appropriate leverage to the balance sheet as well, and the balance sheet is, is, is fine within the, in the realms of debt, um, and use that to augment the amount of money they can give back to shareholders. Another good example of that that we own in the portfolio is United Technologies, um, who own a litany of brands including Otis Lifts, for example, or Pratt & Whitney Engines. Um, the link between many of their franchises is the long nature. You put a, bit, a lift in a building, you get the revenue stream associated with it for, for the life of the building. You put an engine on a plane, you get 25, 30 years of revenue and therefore earnings, and that's what drives our income streams. As well as those growth companies, you also have a, a number that have relatively low dividend yields and quite high price earnings ratios, uh, like Mondelez or Qualcomm. Why do you think they're suitable investments for our fund? So as we run the portfolio, the, there are three characteristics that myself and Doug want to generate. We want capital gains for underlying investors, we want a decent income stream, and we want earnings income growth. Now, we manage that across the portfolio, so each individual stock contributes to those three characteristics in different ways. So not every stock has to have a certain level of capital gains or a certain level of income. Um, but in aggregate, obviously, the characteristics have to be appropriate for the underlying end investor. Uh, the two stocks you mentioned, um, Mondelez and um, Qualcomm specifically, um, Mondelez does have a high PE. Um, if you're looking at historic PE, you've got, however, I would suggest to strip out the significant restructuring costs that they are going through. Um, for UK investors, they will remember Mondelez as the company who bought Cadbury Schweppes. Um, they're the, one of the leading snack um, biscuits, candy, etc., manufacturers in the world. Um, but because of that integration, they're going through a lot of cost-cutting exercises, a lot of restructuring. The costs have been taken, and therefore depressing your earnings, increasing your multiple. Uh, we're not yet seeing the benefits of that. Um, again, that will come true, and that will help earnings. Uh, for Qualcomm, um, it's forward. Qualcomm is um, owns intellectual properties associated with, for example, smartphones. They collect a royalty for every smartphone that is sold, irrespective of whether it's an Apple phone or whoever's phone it may be, they collect a revenue stream, um, and it's pure, it's pure margin. It's 90% incremental margin, so it flows all the way to the cash line. If you look at forward earnings, it's about 14 and a half times, so slightly lower than the market. Um, and management um, have, at the moment, or the share price has a 2% dividend yield, so I think it's cheaper than you're suggesting. Um, the other interesting thing about Qualcomm is management have doubled the dividends over the last two years, and the CEO is on record saying 75% of all free cash flow will be returned to shareholders. So again, in the form of either dividends and or buyback, um, but three quarters of all excess cash is coming straight back to you. Um, so again, it looks very interesting from our perspective. Doug, my final question on stocks is to you. In the portfolio, you also hold Apple and Microsoft, two very large, well-known technology shares, but they've suffered a bit in recent, recent times. What do you see as the outlook for those stocks and the sector in general? I think the volatility you've seen within the technology sector is really more in the internet, uh, social media, and big data space. Uh, these are companies that are in a heavy reinvestment phase, are relatively new business models, 
and in many cases, in our opinion, have lofty valuations. So many of those companies wouldn't be candidates uh, for, for our portfolio. The two companies you mentioned, uh, Apple and Microsoft, have a couple, couple qualities, a couple things in common. Uh, first, we think they have both very strong balance sheets. Financial strength is strong. Second, they're generating return on capital above cost of capital. And third, management of both companies has recognized that they can't reinvest all the cash they're generating, and they've started to redistribute that cash to shareholders through dividends as well as share buybacks. Paul, Doug, thank you very much for your time. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.